Good morning, and happy Father's Day. I, I want to, uh, I want to uh, commend all of you fathers who are here. Typically, Mother's Day is a full attendance Sunday, but Father's Day is a little light. We all know why that is, but uh, so I really want to say thank you for you to you for being here. I also want to acknowledge uh, some dear friends who are here. Uh, I think because of me, and I appreciate that very much. Um, I'd like to talk about uh, three things, and maybe you can help me uh, keep these in order. I want to talk about that curious phrase and idea from Paul's letter, where he said, if one of us has died, then all of us have died. That's the first thing. The second thing is I want to say something about uh, Mark and the strategy of Mark's gospel, the first gospel, which is a curious strategy of secrecy and uh, insiders and outsiders. Who knows the secret? Who doesn't know the secret? And then finally, I want to uh, consider together with you the image that Mark's gospel ends with. The image of open possibilities, which is represented in the gospel by this curious choice of showing us the resurrection by showing us an empty tomb. So, to begin, I want to talk about Paul's point that if we are in Christ, there is a new creation. I was uh, last week with uh, my wife's family in uh, New England um, for my father-in-law's uh, funeral, and his, uh, which happened a few days short, of, or his death, which happened a few days short of his 94th birthday. Uh, a wonderful, faith-filled man of God. And I, I recognize the truth of these words of Paul's with relation to anybody with whom we have a very close connection. I think about my mother-in-law who really, whether she always was happy about it or not near the end, whether she always sometimes might have even complained about it, but she, her life was tied up with her husband as he was nearing the end of his life. She was his caregiver and her life was defined by that, limited in a certain sense by that, connected to him. And the truth is that all of us have relationships, often with our parents, but sometimes with a spouse or a child, that define who we are. And when they die or go away, our lives are called into question. Our lives either somehow or other end with us trying to hang on to something or they transform so completely that we could say we're in a new creation. We have a new life. Well, if we think about that with regard to how the church understands what happened 
when Jesus died, I think it can help us. Our connection with God, with our own lives somehow, is tied up with Christ. And when Christ dies, all of the things we thought about who we are, who we were, are gone. There's a new slate. Something entirely new has happened to us. There is a new creation. So if one has died, this one has died, then all of us have died also with him. And that's, of course, what we say in baptism. Baptism is not a washing away of sins. It's a drowning and a resurrection. It's a new life. And so if we think, in fact, the church has always sort of understood that, that night prayers before you go to bed are prayers for, may I, when I die tonight in my sleep, may I rise again tomorrow. Every day is a, the beginning of an open possibility, a new life. So this reality is a difficult one for us to get a hold of. It keeps slipping through our fingers. And that's the way Mark appears to be telling his story. We think we're on solid ground, and then something shifts, and we aren't clear who we are. Mark's gospel begins with this firm proclamation, the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And then all the way through the gospel, everybody says, whoever says to Jesus, you're the Messiah, you're God's son, you're the Holy One of God, Jesus says, don't say anything to anybody. It's called the messianic secret. It was sort of discovered, I guess, in the 19th century by critics who said, you know, this is very odd. Why would he do this? Not until the end, when he stands before Pilate, or before the high priest, and the high priest says to him, are you the Messiah? He says, I am, using God's own way of talking about himself that he'd been using since the burning bush, at least. When Moses said to the burning bush, well, when I go to Egypt, who should I tell him? Sent me. And the out of the bush, God speaks and says, you tell them, I am sent you. So throughout the New Testament, when you hear Jesus say, I am, it means he's making reference to that reality. At least that's how the Gospelers understand it. Well, this is also the strategy with regard to, song, or to uh, parables. You know, parables characterize the center section of the Gospel. And these parables are curious things. Most of us were taught in Sunday school that parables uh, use these sort of familiar images to describe uh, simple truths. The fact is that uh, parables are much more complex than that. And Jesus tells the disciples that they say, hey, why do you always speak in parables? As if to say, we're having a little trouble following the joke. Why are you always speaking in parables? He says, so that hearing those outside won't understand 
and understanding, they won't change. It's instead of trying to communicate the gospel, Mark is telling us, Mark's Jesus is telling us, he doesn't want people to get the gospel. Now, there's all sorts of interesting ways that we could think about why he would want it. Maybe he realizes that his purpose is actually to be rejected. But for us who are insiders, let's be clear. You know, Jesus goes to the disciples. The disciples say, why do you teach this way? And he says, Cause so they won't understand. And then he says, but you, you disciples, you, you know everything. You understand. And they all go, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's just that way with us. I mean, we pretend to understand this stuff. After all, we come to church. And part of church, I've learned in years of trying to reflect on this, part of church is about pretending. Church is about getting with it. Even if you're not entirely convinced. Way before you're entirely convinced. It's about learning the dance steps before the music has caught your soul so that it will. So these parables are a way of demarcating who's in and who's out. The insiders are supposed to get the real answers from Jesus. The outsiders, it's all in parables. Well, Jesus, of course, was the consummate outsider or became the consummate insider, outsider, even though he was identified as and is still identified by those of us who claim to be insiders as being the consummate insider. I mean, he's as close to God as you can get. There's nobody closer. And by being close to him, we feel like we've become insiders ourselves. But the parables are continually pushing us away in a curious sense. They're calling us to, to see we don't get it somehow. There's something missing here. They continually call into question who we thought we were as insiders. Parables are like snares. They're like a trap. That's set. We think we're, we're on the road, we understand where we're going, and then all of a sudden we get hanging upside down from a tree. And we realize we, we didn't know anything. And we begin again. And what's amazing is that in order for us to understand the parables, it means that we have to more and more count ourselves as insiders. It's what, as I said, baptism is about. Coming to church is about that. Walking the walk, saying our prayers, being close to Christ is about becoming one for whom the truth of God's love can dawn on us. And where did Jesus go in his ministry, and where does he call us to go? People ask me occasionally, why do you spend your time in San Quentin? I mean, what a terrible place to go. And I think the reason is really pretty simple. Because Jesus went to where the outsiders were, to where the cast-off, the outcasts, and those who had been rejected. The other thing I do is I work 
with senior access and hang out with people who don't recognize me from moment to moment. Don't recognize their spouses from moment to moment. And with their loved ones who are even in some, some might say, even more cast out than the sufferers with adult dementia that they care for. Because they have no life. So that's where Jesus is. And that's why I go there. Because I find that's how I recognize him. In San Quentin. Or among Alzheimer's sufferers and their caregivers. So becoming an insider involves going out to where the outsider is and identifying with the outsider. Jesus being cast out meant standing in the most toxic place in his society and taking on all the toxic anger and hostility of all those people who thought they were insiders and had finally found somebody that they could cast all of their hostility, anger, and hatred onto. So the third place that I want to go today is to the empty tomb, because the point that I want to make is that the Gospel of Mark, which you can read in a sitting, it's very easy, and it's worth doing. And if you can find a space, read it out loud to yourself so it, it kind of gets into your ear as well as your heart. The Gospel of Mark, short as it is, is a kind of parable. We thought we knew who Jesus was. We're beginning to catch on. We kind of like this guy. We want to be a follower. And then all of a sudden, he gets arrested and identified as a blaspheming criminal, somebody who's the lowest of the low in his society. And we are left wondering who we are and how silly we have been to put our faith and trust in this person. And he dies a horrible death as we're trying to figure out how we make peace with our own mistaken identification of ourselves with him. And then there is this rumor of an empty tomb. He's back. He's not there where he should be. Death cannot keep a hold of him. Life is bigger than death. The very life that brought grain out of the earth now has brought Jesus out of the tomb. And we are confronted with an open question. Are we going to live? Are we going to say yes to the invitation to the eternal dance? To join the party with the prodigal son and accept our forgiveness and also extend that forgiveness to others who are outcast. 
Let me finish with a story that I... It's a Father's Day story that is, for me, an illustration of the resurrection. Where I was rector for 16 years, there was a woman who was very close to the office, worked very closely in the office, who had a daughter who was wanting to be married. And she and her intended came to me. The problem was that just before the wedding was to happen, a few months before the wedding was to happen, her father became stricken with what appeared to be a stroke and was placed in the hospital and didn't get out. And he became weaker and weaker. And she wanted more than anything for him to walk her down the aisle and give her away. That was her dream. And everybody said, you know, we want that too. <laughs> but you need to realize that's not going to happen. It might. Don't give up hope. But none of us thought it was going to happen. I had visited him in the hospital, and he was in very bad condition. Could hardly recognize a visitor. But she said, no, he's going to do it. Okay. On the day of the wedding, his caregiver signed him, helped him sign himself out of the hospital. He came, driven by his caregiver to the church. He got out of the car, and he was crumpled and shrunken and bent over, and it was very difficult to understand how this person could manage. They had a chair for him. They were going to wheel him up the aisle. And as the procession began, he stood, stood up. How amazing, I thought. How remarkable. Slowly on his daughter's arm, he began to walk down the aisle. I had, I thought I had seen it all. He came to the front of the church. And his daughter to me and then sat down with his wife. I couldn't believe it. We went through the ceremony and he came next door to the reception. He danced with his daughter. The next day, or that afternoon, he went back to the hospital. And within a month, he was dead. The possibilities of life are endless. If we can extend ourselves to 
watch and look and be attentive for the surprises that will come our way. And not hang on to who we thought we were, what we thought was possible, what we thought we should be and should do. Thank you. This has been a sermon podcast from the Episcopal Church of Our Savior, Mill Valley, California. We are a growing, welcoming community for those seeking to deepen their relationship with God and to journey in faith with God's people through the breaking of bread and in service to others in Christ's name. You can reach us by phone at 415-388-1907 or visit us online at OurSaviorMV.org. That's O-U-R-S-A-V-I-O-U-R-M-V for Mill Valley dot O-R-G. We wish you God's peace, and we hope to greet you in person very soon.